Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist here at uscfootball.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or call us or text us, 424-254-9141 is the number. That's 424-254-9141. Send us a voicemail. Uh, leave us a voicemail, send us a text, either one, and we would love to read it here on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a lot of emails today. We've got some other topics we want to talk about with Dan Weber. What's going on, Dan? How are you? Oh, pretty good. Uh, getting ready. Uh, three weeks from today, spring football starts. Not hard to believe. Three weeks from today. Like, that's that's insane that we're going to have spring football to be talking about. It just seems and, like, you know... Happened and then a quickly. day after that, the uh, Pac-12 basketball tournament starts, which uh, might be really important since uh, the latest ESPN bracketology has just two Pac-12 teams in the 68-team NCAA tournament field. Two. Three. The three uh, closest uh, Pac-12 teams that were in last week are now out. USC, UCLA, and Washington are the first three out. Wow. So, uh, I know, this is not good. I mean, Pac-12, only, it gets only two teams in. Huh, that'll be. <laughs> and then and if you're USC and you think, oh, yeah, Arizona State's going to go in. The team we were beaten by eight with less than two minutes to go last week. And, oh, yeah, we lost. Or, you know, the UCLA game where they were up by nine you know, with a couple of minutes to go and end up losing that game. Uh, there will be some, uh, you know, looking back at this USC, USC season if, if they don't get into the tournament this year. Um, there's just no excuse for for where they are, but uh, they've got a trip to the mountains, and then they get to close with UCLA. That's the good news. UCLA has to come to Galen, and maybe they'll, uh, maybe USC fans will show up for that game. Yeah. We will see. So some important games left for USC Hoops. Check out uscfootball.com. We'll have all the information about that. We got a bunch of stuff we want to talk about today. Before we jump into it, I want to thank our new sponsor. So I just checked them out, Aura Organics. So they create ridiculously nutritious and delicious supplements that are better for people and for the planet. They were created by and for healthy foodies right here in California to replace uh, synthetic supplements with nutrients from organic and sustainable sources. So that means omega-3 from microalgae and protein from plants. And because they love food, they have the, their very own chef who creates delicious flavors for their products. So they're made in California. They're vegan, organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, non-GMO, and sustainably sourced. So pretty cool stuff. I want you to go, if you go to the, their website, aura.organic. So it's not .com, aura.organic. You're going to get 15% off your first order using the promo code USC. So it's pretty simple. Promo code USC, aura.organic. So what I've tried so far, they have these Your Golden tablets that are 
organic turmeric kusurman, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, so basically they told me it's for joint, spre- joint stress, cardiovascular system, and antioxidants. But what I really like to use, so I take those are pills, um, but they have the so lean and so clean chocolate protein power. So I've been using that every morning. I put some banana, some protein, uh, some almond milk, and uh, a little bit of peanut butter. And it makes a really good smoothie in the morning. So make sure you go to AuraOrganic.com. Use promo code USC and you'll get 15% off. So I'll let you know how I keep trying this stuff. And uh, Dan, if you need some protein powder, let me know. We'll get we'll hook you up with some Aura Organics. Is that O-R-A? O-R-A? O-R-A dot organic. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's what we want to do. Because there's not been an announcement, even though it's been almost two weeks since signing day, on USC's uh, next running backs coach, and that's what people want to know. According to Football Scoop, uh, we have friends over there, uh, according to a source, they reported this yesterday, Lenny Vandermade, former USC offensive lineman uh, who's been with the program a couple of times in the support staff role, uh, was the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach at Santa Margarita High School. They have reported he's returning to USC in a support uh, role. So he'd be a offensive analyst uh, or quality control assistant uh, similar to what the guys that were promoted, uh, Brian Ellis and Kerry Colbert, uh, were doing. So I just want to get your comments on that, Dan, him coming back to USC. Well, I like having uh, an offensive line guy. I think that's good. I mean, that's where the issues were, I think, with the USC offense. Uh, in the red zone, uh, goal line, you know, short yardage, a uh, lot of questions about the, the way USC attacked uh, the run game. So I think uh, uh, bringing in a guy who, you know, was an offensive lineman and then coach, his background is basically the offensive line. I like that a lot. I think Lenny, uh, you know, will identify, uh, you know, with the issues, uh, kind of knows the people involved, knows what they're trying to do. And I like it having uh, an O-line guy as an analyst, uh, you know, with the offense. So I think that's a plus. And, uh, you know, Always good. I think if you can stay, uh, especially for jobs like that, uh, people you know, people you trust, people who, you know, really did some good things at USC when they were here, people that connect you with, uh, you know, and those weren't maybe some of the most absolutely overwhelmingly talented um, physically offensive line. But uh, guys like Lenny Vander made made him work, and, and they were tough and uh, hard nosed, and uh, the kind of stuff you'd like to see uh, uh, transferred to, to to this group. Uh, that's by far the most important, you know, element of this team going forward is the offensive line. So I think that's a real good move. Yeah, I think so. And uh, you know, obviously they need to replace a couple support staff people since they promoted two of them. Still have to hire a running backs coach, and and you're hoping. Maybe bringing in, you know, not just replacing who was left or, you know, but bringing in extra people because it wouldn't be bad to have a bigger support staff. It's not like there's a limitation on that kind of stuff. And you know that other schools are certainly doing that uh, more so than USC right now. Yeah, I think uh, the name of the game is is competing uh, for national championships. And, uh, I mean, I don't think USC is ever going to hire as many people as uh, Ohio State or Alabama or Michigan or uh, probably even Clemson. Uh, but uh, 
I just think they've got to, you know, they've got to compete and they've got to have as many people as they think they need. Let's say USC has some really built, built-in advantages. I mean, there are some things. Where else in the country would you rather recruit with the university, the location, all of the, the history and tradition, all of the kinds of things you've got going for you at USC? I don't think you need as many people to recruit for USC as you do for, for Clemson. There is the one thing. If you're going to go nationally, there is more of a commitment to time, and you've got limited, you know, you've got just so many assistant coaches. Uh, it takes a little more doing if USC is going to recruit in Florida than Ohio State is going to recruit in Florida or uh, Texas or whatever. So, uh, so you know, as, as good a situation as it is recruiting for USC, there are some things you've got to overcome. And I just think, you know, you've got to really figure out exactly down to the, you know, the nth degree, what it is you need. I think they closed obviously really well last this year, year before, but it's a different world with the early signing date. And I think USC has to figure some things out there because I think they wore Clay Helton out a little bit at the very end. <laughs> and was, I don't think it helped them. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it helped them um, getting ready for uh, the Cotton Bowl. I think they – and and they may not want to leave as many loose ends uh, next year, which maybe requires uh, more uh, use of support staff. I think they've done a good job because they're under the limit by one. Uh, they uh, they've done a good job using Gavin Morris and getting him out there and getting him on the road, getting him wherever they need him. And uh, I think he's done a terrific job. Yeah, for sure. And so we'll see. We'll keep you up to date on what we hear on. Support staff hires and all of that. Um, also, one of them talk about there were some interesting uh, topics. Our buddy Joey Kaufman over at the Orange County Register had a sit down with Lynn Swan, and uh, I know you had a few thoughts on some of the things that Lynn Swan said. Um, so maybe kind of share what you what you heard about that or what you feel about that. Yeah, I was a little disappointed in uh, the kind of uh, you know comments about the uh, Pac-12 TV situation and the fact that yeah. You know, that Lynn said, basically, we're stuck. And, uh, you know, till 2024, not much we can do about it. And, uh, you know, they made some bad guesses and uh, they took a risk and it didn't work out and uh, don't want to see it throwing people under the bus. And I'm thinking, you're only halfway through. you got six more years. And in those six years, the Pac-12 will probably lose very soon – the Big Ten, for example, is going to be about $20 million per team per year ahead of the Pac-12 in TV revenue. Well, you're talking about uh, 14-team Big Ten. You're talking about uh, $280 million a year. I mean, you're a quarter of a billion-plus dollars a year for six more years. I mean, can the Pac-12 withstand a billion-and-a-half-dollar deficit? over the next six years, and we're talking about a Pac-12 that's, you know, with USC in the lead, downsizing stadiums, or they've already pretty much downsized. So I don't know, you make up the revenue there. And a Pac-12 network that just isn't doing the job at all compared to what the SEC and the Big Ten make off of their networks. And the Pac-12 decided to go it alone and not affiliate with either ESPN or Fox, as those two did. And, and the thing I would like to see is that USC 
lead the way in taking a look at, I mean, I've talked to people in the TV, in the college sports TV business who have said the thing they would do to start and the thing you can do is shut down the Pac-12 networks. Shut it down and let each of the schools handle their own uh, local TV, handle all their own uh, basketball uh, uh, TV and all their minor sports and Olympic sports, however you want to call it, and uh, make their own deals. And uh, even for the, I think the Oregon states and and uh, Washington states of the world, I mean, we found out that Iowa State takes in about because the uh, Big 12 allows those schools to keep those rights. They don't have a network yet, and an Iowa State makes about eight million dollars a year, as opposed to the you know the Pac-12 where you get one and a half to two million from the big you know from the Pac-12 networks. And I just think you'd save money. And you give people, and, you know, I know people in the Pac-12 would say, wait a minute, USC and UCLA, they're going to do great. Well, I mean, they're already sharing equally the big TV revenue from ESPN and ABC and Fox. Uh, Why not let the schools, for example, Texas, Oklahoma, those schools have said, no, we want to keep our own individual revenues. Uh, for the tier three rights, and I think the Pac-12 really ought to be looking at that. But that's the kind of thing you would like to see a Lynn Swan proposing, that there are some solutions that we're looking we're looking at. Yeah, so right now I think it's just going to be status quo, and uh, obviously that's not going, <laughs> going so well for the Pac-12. Um, all right, well, let's, let's, go, let's jump into some questions here. Um, we have a bunch of different topics. So we'll start with some of the coaching stuff first. Jim in Newport Beach. Uh, what's the latest on Kenichi Udezi? I haven't heard anything since it was announced that he interviewed with the 49ers. Thanks for all you do, Jim in Newport. Well, I mean, all we know is it, it sounds like some of the guys are open to uh, being interviewed. and, and the poss- I, I don't see Kenichi, for example, going for a, an assistant defensive line coach job uh i, I just I don't, I don't think i don't think that's in the card and um you know maybe uh i i would think there may be a couple of guys who you know could be attracted to other jobs but uh uh we haven't seen that you know so far but uh but i wouldn't say that it's off the table completely uh and i think the extensions certainly help but uh uh you know uh <laughs> It's been it's interesting. It's just so quiet uh, in terms of what's going on. I mean, for a while, nothing was going on, and and we reported that everybody kind of got the word out, and then all of a sudden, Clay gets an extension, and uh, uh, Clancy and uh, and uh, T get extensions, and now we've heard, you know, that the other coaches have, uh, but. Uh, it doesn't sound like that was something that everybody was on board with uh, in an enthusiastic way. It, it, it seemed like it was a little bit of pulling teeth to, to get that done. Um, so I don't think we know exactly where where that all stands. Uh, and uh, uh, I think I think further developments could happen and, and wouldn't be totally surprising. Yeah, I agree with you there. We just don't know. We, when we got to talk to Clay Helton, really the one time since uh, the Cotton Bowl, it was about recruiting and not about uh, 
So, you know, once we head into the spring ball, I think we'll get uh, more answers. Um, we had Reggie. He said, I'd like your opinion on Coach Baxter giving up coaching the tight ends and focusing only on special teams. Do you think this move has anything to do with Baxter as a recruiter? I get the Colbert move to wide receiver slash tight end. He appears to be a better recruiter and the heir apparent to Team Martin should he move on. Finally, I read that uh, Tennessee has recently parted ways with their running backs coach. Could and should he be an option for USC's running back coach opening? Fight on. SC List in Seattle. That's from Reggie. Yeah, I mean, we've heard, you know, about uh, about the, our Tennessee guy. I, you know, I, I wish you had a sense of who you ought to be looking at or pushing. I mean, to be honest, we didn't know D'Lan McCullough until he got here, and we saw him actually coach. And then it, it, it's really hard uh, to know about uh, assistant coaching position. I mean, we can be out on the field, and if it's uh, an assistant coach whose group happens to work near where we are, you can see some things. Uh, if it's one of the groups that's over in the corner as far away as they can possibly be, it's, you know, we're there every day, and it's still hard to really pick up on uh, exactly how, how the coaching is going. And, you know, you also have scheming plays into it in terms of, you know, you might have a good coach and a bad scheme. And if he's not in charge of the scheme, uh, it makes it makes life a little difficult. So, uh, you know, I just I, I I don't know, and we really haven't heard a word about where they're where they're looking, um, you know, for running backs uh, coaches. I think uh, T. Martin maybe was the connection to Deland. I we you know I think for a while we didn't really realize that there actually was a connection, but. Uh, I think they'd been on the same roster in Canada, which was uh, maybe the one one place they uh, intersected. But uh, so we don't we haven't heard any of that kind of thing, you know, with this movement. I'm not not sure his other his other question. Oh, it was about um, John Baxter. Do you think the move like? Oh yeah, him? you know what? I don't know why uh, it should be either or. Uh, bringing on Terry still shouldn't prevent. Uh, everybody else on the staff from recruiting, you know. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it's good to get Kerry, uh, you know, on and good to re- get him recruiting. I think that's a real plus. And I like, I like the idea of somebody who can really focus on the tight ends. I think that was, uh, that was an added um, uh, dimension to Coach Baxter that I'm not sure was uh, necessarily in his or their best interest. Uh, and I think it did take away from. The, the development of the you know special teams last year, which which kind of showed, so uh, so I think it, I think that was more coaching related than uh, than recruiting related, but uh, but I think Terry is a plus for sure in, in terms of recruiting. But I think I think everybody's got to get on on board with recruiting. I agree with you there. Um, you don't want the disparity where a few coaches are carrying the majority of the load. Um, let's see, Jeff. The math teacher in Fountain Valley, he said on last week's podcast, Daniel sent a voicemail forecasting, quote unquote, mediocrity under Clay Helton in the near future. I know Dan thought that word was a little strong, but us USC fans and alumni are spoiled. We feel like we should be in the national playoff slash championship picture every year or at least often. It doesn't matter how many five star recruits we sign. 
when we go a long stretch without playoff berths, it feels like mediocrity to us. Maybe that definition of mediocrity is skewed, but that's why we are USC and not Oregon or Stanford, etc. Fight on, Jeff, the math teacher. Yeah, Jeff, I think uh, you could be an English teacher, uh, you know, with that uh, handling uh, the definition there. I think you're right. Uh, My answer was, it's not really mediocrity, but from a USC fan's point of view, uh, you could say what you just said. It feels like mediocrity. Uh, so, I mean, maybe, uh, you know, you win 11 and win the Pac-12, it can feel like mediocrity. And, and some of that might be because of the way it happened and the way, you know, games that were close that shouldn't have been close or games that you won that you really probably shouldn't have won. Uh, and that kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah, so mine was more of a, well, technically it's probably not mediocrity and a whole lot of people would like that kind of mediocrity. Cause to me, mediocrity is like legitimately mediocre. Uh, so they're not legitimately mediocre, but, uh, but when they played Notre Dame, when they played Ohio State, they were pretty darn mediocre, uh, if, if that, uh, so, uh, it's a good, uh, good point, uh, 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 math teacher, that was, uh, I think you, you hit it just right. That was Jeff, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, okay, so Frank in Sacramento, he sent me this big chart that we can't really read on the podcast. So, unfortunately, Frank, I can't show everybody what that was since this is not a visual medium. But he said Davo Sweeney, so he's talking about Clemson's head coach, and Clay Helton both got their first head coaching jobs at big-time programs. Dabo did just okay his first few years at 19 and 15, but Clay Helton has done much better so far at 27 and 10 his first few years. So then he kind of showed the chart of like every, you know, all the wins and stuff like that. This is something that people kind of bring up a lot, Dan. So maybe you kind of get your thoughts that they'll, they want to compare him to Dabo Sweeney. Yeah. I mean, I think they had a long way to go uh, at Clemson. Basically Clemson has, his almost no tradition. I mean, they, they have a wonderful, they were the first school to really develop a booster group. They called it IPTAY, I-P-T-A-Y, I pay 10 bucks a year. And if you didn't join the booster club, you weren't allowed to even get in to, to get inside the city limits at Clemson on football Saturdays. You had to be a booster to be allowed to even come in. Now, that's, I'm saying you're talking about a town of 3,000 that you could fit inside their stadium. So, uh, you know, it's a different world at Clemson. So they, you know, and they had, you know, Frank Howard and the rock and, and, and some really neat traditions, but that was not, you know, and the one championship they won was really tainted. I mean, you think, you know, people want to question USC's championship. Uh, so, uh, I think he had a lot farther to come and I think he, you know, he really did. I mean, he made all the kinds of changes that you have to make. I'm not sure the difference at USC is they're not looking for somebody to reinvent the wheel. I mean, I think Pete Carroll kind of reinvented I mean, you know, they've obviously had situations where after Howard Jones, you know, John McKay had to come in a few, you know, decades later and reinvent the wheel. And after John McKay, uh, Pete Carroll had to come in and kind of reinvent the wheel. I don't think they're at that point, uh, you know, with Clay. So it's not that same kind of situation and uh, the recruiting is to the point now where it's really hard to screw USC up, I think. Uh, if you couldn't completely screw USC up through the Sarkiffian era, uh, 
you know, I mean, no program in the history of the world has had to fire two coaches in mid-season two years apart. I mean, that's that's impossible. I mean, any other program in America, that would have been kneecapping times ten. You know, I mean, that, that they'd have been, you know, gone forever. And USC's not. Um, so I think the standard for Clay is a little higher just because it's USC and just because, you know, if you're recruiting uh, – I guess what was that the last time I saw that um, this current roster, five-year five roster, has three top five classes and two top ten classes. So it's a different standard for Clay and USC, whether he's starting out or wherever he is in the uh, – I mean, you sign up for that at USC, and Clay has never backed off with that it's about winning national championships and, and competing for those. So I think it's more there than the quantitative 27 and 10 record uh, compared to Dabo Swinney because Dabo then kept getting better and better and got themselves to uh, a national championship and beat in Alabama. Uh, so I, just, I think, you know, the numbers don't exactly correspond uh, with Clemson and USC uh, when you look at the final results. And, you know, people look at Clemson and they've got what sixty people working in their in their recruiting department, uh, and they send out like millions of of emails and messages and all kinds of stuff. I mean, they work at it and work at it really hard, and you got to give Dabo credit for it. For sure, yeah. I mean, I, you can compare the early days of Dabo Sweeney, the early years, but you know he's won a national championship and played for another and made the playoff again. Um, he's done a lot since then. So if you're projecting that, well, Dabo did that, so Clay's going to do that too. I just think, I don't think you can project that. So, yes, you know, he's got a better record than the Dabo has for the first few years, but, I, I mean, you know what he's done since then, and I think that's really, that's a really, I don't think that's a fair comparison to Clay Helton because now you're saying, well, he's better than what Dabo was before, so he should win two national championships and not just one. Right. I mean, I think that's the point that if you say where Dabo was his early years and where he is now, you think, holy criminy, look at how far he came, how fast he came. And that's uh, that makes it really a tough deal for, for Clay. So I think you could actually use your your numbers to work against Clay rather than for Clay at this point. So uh, uh, that's. Yeah, I think you got to be careful about the, uh, those kinds of numbers. But it's interesting. They're interesting to think about, and uh, and they make a point. Yeah, for sure. All right, before we jump into the rest of the questions, I want to tell you guys about my Lisa bed. So if you don't know what Lisa is, they are driven by a mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. Uh, very socially conscious uh, company. They donate one mattress to a shelter for every 10 they sell, so that's pretty cool. But so I've got mine. The, the the coolest thing when you get this box that comes to your door, uh, something maybe like golf clubs would come in, like a box about that size, and you know, like a, your golf bag or something. And you open it up, and there's a mattress inside, and it's like folded in half. It's like it's kind of a freeze dried thing. So it's pretty cool. I actually had it on top of my old bed that I had, and I finally got rid of all that stuff. So now I have it on a. Uh, foundation. They actually, Lisa, they sell foundations and stuff too. But that's what's cool about these foam mattresses. You don't have to have a box spring and all that kind of stuff. The box springs are the worst because when you're trying to move or anything, those are always just clunky and big and they're always getting in the way. So this is really cool um, that you can just put it on a flat foundation 
and we have it so it's got a lot more storage. It's like up in the air. It's like uh, 18 inches off the ground, and so you can put the Lisa mattress on top of that. So it's pretty cool. But anyway, you should go to Lisa.com and try it out. You'll get $100 off the mat- Lisa mattress using our promo code USC. You go to Lisa.com slash USC. That's promo code USC at Lisa, L-E-E-S-A dot com, and you'll get $100 off. So check it out. But I'm really excited. Yeah, because I had to like kind of rearrange my room, Dan, to get the the new, you know, there's new technology. So I'm getting the new technology. Yeah, that sounds bed. cool. So, <laughs> um, let's see. We got a couple questions from our buddy Dan, USC class of 1962. He said, I'm looking at the roster for next year. It appears USC has a number of players who redshirted, uh, who were injured and didn't play or just didn't get on the field. While it's nice to look at incoming players and their potential, there are many current players who also come in with potential who still haven't produced. Um, He said, what's going to happen to players such as Greg Johnson, Taylor Katoa, Jonathan Lockett, uh, Liam, he said Liam Simmons, it means Liam Jimmins, I think. Uh, Roy Hemsley, uh, Johnson, the offensive tackle, Frank Martin, Iosefa, Jordan, he played a lot, uh, Nathan Smith and others. We need to develop depth, uh, and these players should be that depth in playing unless they are injured. I would greatly appreciate an update on current players who didn't play at all or much this past year. Thanks as always. Fight on. Dan from the class of 1962. And you, you could just look at a guy like Tyler Vaughn, who redshirted, five-star guy that ends up redshirting and then have a big year. So good point, Dan. There's some guys that can that you didn't really see last year that could have a big impact this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you started out with the right guy. I think Greg Johnson is a terrific athlete, an instinctive, uh, just strong, big, strong, quick, uh, uh, you know, can make – make plays cut people down you know i know there are people even said oh he ought to be playing on offense he's but uh and i i think he probably gives you another return guy and uh, uh just a lot of good things about him i think it was a shame i think he'd have definitely played uh if he doesn't hurt it uh, have to have his shoulder surgery uh as far as a couple of those guys on your list i mean there might be one who may not uh may not be able to go in the spring and and may not you know whether we'll see him in the future i don't know and another one who may not be there in the spring uh but usc is not kind of coming out and saying uh how the roster is lining up for the spring yet so we don't know about about all those guys yeah i'm interested in that uh, we saw taylor katoa there almost every day uh you know coming back from that knee uh you know they look it looks like they're going to have a lot of linebackers uh who can uh who you can put out on uh, you know out on the field uh you know you've got uh, jonathan lockett uh gives you another corner which gives them more flexibility and i know people say uh well maybe uh you know iman marshall can make a move uh to safety but then you look at safety and you say man they got a lot of safeties you know and isaiah palomalo and um you know some of the freshmen coming in uh it just got a lot of body i mean i i think the thing we want to see and, and you your question dan is, is good in that it focuses on on the numbers and the depth and you'd love to see usc figure out a way to especially on defense to develop uh all the all the athletes that are in this program and get them on the field. I mean, I don't think it, it does much good to have them standing on the sideline. And so I think that's the big challenge for, for Clancy and Clay is uh, how do we get all these guys on the field? And, and I, you'd like to see USC play faster. 
Uh, you'd like to see them uh, put more pressure on teams that don't have as many athletes as USC does and, um, you know, get a lot of plays in. And, um, you know, I mean, that was always some of the problems if teams play fast on offense. Oh, they're going to run out of run out of bodies on defense and you're going to give up the ball quickly uh, if you, even if you score and your defense is going to be under pressure. Well, yes, he ought to have enough bodies on defense to be able to, you know, handle that. I mean, I just think, uh, so I think that's, that should be that, that whole developmental thing and getting people ready to go uh, uh, should be, that's, that's it all. That should be what we see this spring getting people ready to go, getting, you know, everybody that can be on the field ready to be on the field. And uh, kind of follow up to that, Andrew from West L.A., he wants to talk about scholarship math. Who do you expect to transfer out of the program? And uh, so we know Cole Smith, he announced that he was going to uh, retire. So um, he'll be out, you know, obviously at wide receiver. Um, Not really sure, you know, don't really expect Joseph Lewis to be back. Uh, my count on the scholarship distribution chart had USC at five over the the limit, so that would be two potential ones, or you know, one certain one and another potential one gone. Um, and and like Dan said, we don't really know. Uh, they've been they've been kind of hush hush about stuff. We've asked about certain players that we've heard about, and we're not getting any answers. So we probably won't get a lot of answers until uh, the spring guide comes out maybe a few days before spring football. It just seems the way that's the way USC is doing it nowadays, Dan. Yeah, they haven't been real. I mean, for example, you can go on uh, the San Diego State site and you can see a whole, you know, thread on uh, Roy Hemsley. And, you know, is he coming and how good is he? And, you know, would he be able to play right away and all that kind of stuff. But, Again, uh, we're not getting any answers, uh, you know, about uh, things like that. You know, are our guys going to stay through the spring and then leave? Uh, you know, are you going to have a, a potential graduate transfers, uh, you know, people who stayed with the program with the idea, I'll get my degree, then I can transfer somewhere else where I can play? Uh, I think that's uh, that's a possibility for, you know, a couple of guys. Uh, and uh, I don't, you know, it's not – telling any tales out of school that uh, uh, Jamal Cook is a question mark in terms of exactly, I mean, he's here and he's in class, but exactly what his um, status going forward with the football team is, I, I don't think, and again, I don't think we know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but Clay could not have been more assured that he had those five scholarships available for, the, uh, for this class. Yeah. I mean, when he would not say nothing about any details about who's not going to be there, but he absolutely said, we do have the space. We do have the scholarships. And that was a couple of weeks ago. So whether, you know, things have changed by one, at least maybe since then, uh, I don't know, but, uh, but yeah, to be determined uh, going forward. But I think the key is, you know, again, figuring out, about the players that are coming yeah. back. And they got enough guys coming back. And they got enough talent, enough young talent, enough bodies who I think can really play. Tarek had a simple question, and this probably has something to do with those guys coming back. Can we expect the defense to be even better in 2018? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it sometimes happens that way. You lose, uh, say, a Uchenna and Nwusu, and you lose uh, um, a Chris Hawkins. 
and yet uh, you really you learn enough about who you got and you got enough of those guys and uh, and you do get a Porter Gustin back and uh, uh, you lose Rasheem Green. But uh, if you get Marlin back and you get the you know the other freshmen Jay Tavelli and and Brandon Peely, uh, you know step up and you get all this group of linebackers. I mean this just big group of linebackers. And if you figure out what exactly do we need to do with Connor Murphy and uh, uh, Alawali Batiku? What do we do? What's the best way to use? They've got talent. They've got skills. Uh, how do we get something? you know, for them to do that they can really, uh, you know, make plays for this, uh, for this defense. But yeah, this is the kind of, I think, you know, a defense and, and they got a break. I think that Cameron Smith is back that you've got a leader, you got, you know, an absolute leader, but, uh, again, the, the, the quality depth that they could have, uh, and this, and I would like to see USC go in that direction. Uh, we're going to win games with, with our defense. And I say it. I think they ended up like 82nd in total, de- 82nd in pass defense, and 68, you know, in total defense, and that's ridiculous. That team, as they showed when they had to at times, that team should not have been anywhere near down there in terms of, uh, you know, statistics. I mean, they just gave up the, I was it 13 plays of, uh, you know, 40 yards or more. Can't do that. that that's just ridiculous. Uh, and, and and doing my book um, that I'm, I've been working on, um, I still am taken, uh, just blown away by the 1972 USC team, the one that everybody says ought to be in the discussion for greatest team ever, ne- did not allow a single play longer than 29 yards for the entire year. Think about that. No play made it to 30 yards in an entire season. How good is that? That's the kind of thing you want to see uh, this USC defense get to, where there aren't the breakdowns, there aren't the misses, there aren't the, you know, whatever it was that all the factors that allowed, um, you know, here's you had a USC team that, you know, I think they had 16 interceptions, so they really did a pretty good job, uh, you know, intercepting the football, and yet they also gave up those long plays. I think you've got to get a, a, a more consistent defensive effort that's there every play, every series, every possession. And uh, I think, again, they got, they got enough bodies to get there. And now they, the developmental phase has to really kick in because uh, they got the kind of team that, uh, that has the potential to develop and to be something uh, pretty special on defense. We had uh, Reggie said, we were talking about J- Jamel Cook. He said, we hear so much about, those who could transfer. One of the things I noticed about Jamel Cook is he appears to always be engaged and supporting teammates on the sideline. He usually is the first player uh, off the bench to congratulate his teammates. You would think that since he isn't playing much, that he could sit on the bench and hang his head, but not Cook. I hope he isn't one of those leaving because I sincerely think he has the potential to contribute to this team. Players don't develop at the same pace, and perhaps it will take Cook a bit longer to shine. I realize that everybody loves new toys, but I would like to hear you talk more about the current roster guys and their development rather than casting them aside for the new guys. Fight on from Rich. Yeah, Rich, I tend to agree with you. Uh, uh, I'm excited about the guys that have been there and, and getting them to where they can be. I, I just think it's, it's almost unfair to, 
you know, we talk about you know, the whole recruiting process and, you know, all that. But I just, you know, you let those guys, you know, develop. JT Daniels and Amon Ra might be you know, exceptions to that rule. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I would love, you know, Jamal, there are an awful lot of things to like about Jamal. I mean, there, there's, there's just no question. He's got an off, and you characterized him correctly uh, on the bench and as a teammate and all that. I mean, let's say, unfortunately, in the Cotton Bowl, he got a little too uh, uh, engaged, I guess uh, we could say, uh, on the sideline. But um, uh, I, I just, yeah, I, uh, I, I wish we knew enough of what's involved, say, in a specific case like that. We're never going to, and we're going to only see – you know, the end result. Uh, but, uh, but again, three weeks, stay tuned. We'll know. We will know in three weeks. Um, Dan from class of 1962 had another question. He said, it was some poetic justice that Notre Dame was hit with NCAA penalties after two players were caught getting impermissible academic assistance and being made to forfeit games in 2012 and 2013. However, I was impressed uh, with the defense of the school by the Notre Dame president, uh, that was missing from the USC sanctions. He even called out the NCAA for their lack of even-handed justice, especially in relation to the North Carolina lack of penalties. Uh, how do the forfeited games affect USC? Because I believe that we lost to Notre Dame both years. What is our record against Notre Dame now? If USC were in the SEC, it would not have uh, had the NCAA harsh sanctions. Thanks for all you do uh, for USC fans. From Dan, I I don't know what the record is. I don't know if you looked at it, Dan, but I have no idea. No, uh, it, it doesn't change USC's record. Uh, it only changes Notre Dame's record. Uh, so they vacate Notre Dame's wins. I mean, I don't know if USC would would say, okay, that we don't lose that game. Uh, I don't I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's probably in the cards uh, for USC. It means Notre Dame has to put some asterisks in their uh, media guide which, uh, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to very much appreciate. I was impressed as well with their president and his defense of, of I mean, it's hard to shoot Notre Dame down, uh, a school that essentially graduates every single football player every single year. Kind of hard to shoot them down for academic. Uh, and basically it was, uh, as they discussed it, it was student-to-student student cheating. And it was one student who I guess helped out, a full-time undergraduate who helped out uh, with the trainers. And then, so then the NCA said, oh, he's not an undergrad. He's a member of your staff. It was a bogus, uh, uh, and it's something the NCA had never done before and very similar to the USC case, which Notre Dame ought to be very familiar with since they had a person on the Committee on Infractions, who I guess is still on it, uh, there's number two in their athletic department, and uh, she kind of went along with what the NCAA did to Notre Dame or to USC. So I'm guessing that shouldn't be unfamiliar territory for Notre Dame. Now I don't I don't ever think we should say, oh great, they uh, they screwed us. I'm glad they screwed you. But uh, but the fact that Notre Dame had a person on that committee and uh, kept very quiet when it happened to USC. And now they're screaming, uh, you know, and Notre Dame does. I mean, Notre Dame is, defends itself really well. I mean, you know, they, they had the, the two students who died 
you know, with interaction with the football program and the one poor girl with a, you know, suicide after an issue with a football player and then the student trainer or student manager who, well, not manager, um, uh, videographer, I guess, who went down in a, in a gale uh, on a bad, uh, bad platform that Notre Dame probably was, uh, you know, didn't didn't handle very well, and Notre Dame defended itself to the hilt, and they're good at they're good at that. They're better at that than USC. I mean, I think USC mounted a decent first defense against the NCAA, and then collapsed and basically said, uh, you know, we'll you, you know you win, we give up, and I don't know. I, I have a feeling Notre Dame is not going to give up. Uh, they're never going to say the NCAA was right. And um, and they've got a good point at, the, at this time. If I'm the NCAA, how do you come down on Notre Dame for one student helping two football players after you basically said for North Carolina, where they had a whole department of phony classes over two decades and thousands of athletes uh, kept alive, uh, some of them, without that, they wouldn't have been able to play, uh, which helped them get national championships in basketball. If I'm the NCAA, yeah, I'd be really embarrassed about about doing that. But it's the NCAA. I don't know that they're capable of being, you know, embarrassed. But, uh, but yeah, good points and uh, all around. We had uh, Stephen in Jacksonville, Texas. He just wanted an update on the coaching vacancy. So I think we covered all that for you, Stephen. But thanks for uh... – Writing in, I wanted to make sure we we got to uh, to read your thing. Um, Ed in the Bay. Stevens got a candidate. Stevens got a candidate for running backs coach. Uh, it's still maybe not too late. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, Ed in the Bay Area. So he listened to this was our our live broadcast when we re, we uh, did analysis on uh, signing day. He said it seems the whole team says Clay needs to be given more credit for recruiting. First, let me say. I'm not a sunshine pumper or a doom and gloomer on Clay. I'm in the middle of the road for him. Does some good, does some bad. However, I have to take issue just a little on the teams on like so our teams take on recruiting. As you can see below, he hasn't done any better than the three previous coaches at USC. The only time USC has been outside the top ten according to two four seven's composite rankings was two thousand one, Pete's first year, and then two thousand thirteen when due to sanctions they took only 12. So far, Clay is doing okay, but he isn't blowing me away. Just a thought. I'd throw that out there. Ed in the Bay Area. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think uh, historically, coaches have really gotten credit uh, for recruiting at USC. I mean, uh, Lane Kiffin did. And, you know, Lane had the plan, and, he, you know, he was going to figure out how to get around the NCAA sanction. And I think he did plan pretty well. Uh, you know, there was a problem when by the end of his time, he wasn't allowed to show up at certain high schools, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, you know, recruiting, you know, moved on and Sark, you know, had good classes and, and, and you would hear stories, but, you know, yes, see, I think this is where people, you know, we tend to personalize it a lot, but if you're working at it, if you're trying USC recruits USC, you know, I mean, I think. The one impact that a coach can have it would be a negative impact, but uh, uh, if you uh, if you get out there and, and work at it, you're going to probably do pretty well because uh, USC is USC. I mean, it's, and it's going to now 
and some of this might be that, that you know both of those classes were late closing classes and you know you're coming from behind and you made up the most ground on the last day and nobody else uh, you know went from outside the top 10 to uh, top four like USC did so uh, so I think you know we have a tendency and Clay basically does a lot of that himself he's the closer he, he's uh, very much of the you know the guy who you know home visits are great and he made a lot of you know a lot of a lot of travel time for you know for Clay at the end so uh, he should get credit but uh, I think you're right uh, USC basically should get most of the credit because uh, there's USC's got so much going for it. We had uh, David E. Uh, wrote in. He said he had a compliment for my Eric Ziskin interview. He said, absolutely fascinating. It would be great to get him on again to discuss things in even more detail. So he's the quote-unquote recruiting guy. I had him on uh, a week or two ago. He said, were there any genuinely genuine surprises on signing day, either positive or negative, this year or prior to class? And he wanted to know. So he had some other questions kind of for Eric. So, um, but... So not, I mean, thanks for the well, I don't know. What there. do you think? The last two years with Marlon, with Marlon, he was uh, a flipping. Surprise, yeah. I think he'd be the biggest surprise. An Oregon guy uh, signed up from with Washington, and they were riding high, and he flipped to USC. I would. That would be my. It would be the one that certainly set off the opposing fan base the most uh, when he uh, turned his back on uh, on Washington. I think. Yeah, that was a that was a pretty big one, and yeah, we'd love to have him on. We're trying to get some other guys on. We have to get approval, and for some reason, we haven't got any more approvals. So we'll we'll keep trying. Um, people that would like to come on, and uh, we just need to get approval from the head guy. So we'll, we'll try, we're we're working on that. But I'm glad you liked the Eric Ziskin interview. Um, Don has a quick one. Can you explain preferred walk on? Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, you're still a walk-on. It's not a, but you don't have to try out for the team. So most walk-ons, you have to get there and you try out. There's a bunch of walk-ons. If you're a preferred walk-on, there's like, okay, you can come on the team. You just don't have a scholarship, but you'll be on. You'll be on the roster. Um, so you're you're preferred, which just gives you a spot. Yeah, you're 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 a roster player, whereas a regular walk-on has to you know earn a spot, win a spot on the roster. So you can tell people, you know. I'm going to be with the Trojans next year. I, you know, I've got a number. I got a, you know, I got a position. I got a position coach. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be in there for the, uh, you know, the training table and all that kind of thing. Um, uh, I'm good to go. And uh, I think that's a, because, I mean, there are the limitations. The 105 number uh, until uh, school starts, and then I guess it goes to 115. But uh, uh, there are walk-ons who who don't make that, uh, that number. Uh, and you would be in that number, uh, if you're a, a preferred walk on. We had Dominic in South Bend, Indiana. So that's uh, Notre Dame territory. He said, Hey, Peristyle team. Oh. I had a quick statement for my fellow listeners to the Peristyle podcast. Obviously last season was somewhat of a disappointment given the expectations for the Trojan program, but it bothers me that everyone points at coach Clay Helton for all of the disappointments last season, even though I don't agree with the team not practicing in full pads and Clay um, sugaring down problems with the team, I still believe he has brought an element of stability to this program that's been missing for quite some time now. The one thing that bothers me the most is how SC fans praised Sam Darnold so much last year but failed to recognize 
how many times he turned the ball over this past season. I mean, people actually said Sam carried the team and kept SC above water. I'm not refuting Sam wasn't a great talent for USC. I'm just saying Sam deserves more blame for last year's disappointments than people realize. Dominic and South Bend. Well, I think Dominic is still uh, uh, suffering uh, PTSD from the USC uh, game in South Bend last year. Uh, and it might be hard to get past uh, what happened to Sam in that game. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've got really a good answer yet, a good explanation, a good understanding of, of exactly what happened with uh, with Sam all the way through the season. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I got the feeling that there were um, some injury issues that, you know, we really, nobody knew, you know, or talked about or nobody would talk about. I think there were some, you know, offensive execution issues of Sam trying to do too much and trying to make plays and feeling that pressure and, and that off-season buildup where you are the man, you are the guy, you're the one that they want to come, you know, come to our camp, come to our Manning Passing Academy, come to, you know, this workout, that work, all the all the stories, all the Heisman hype and all that kind of thing. I think it gets to you and you have to, you know, you feel like, God, I got to make this happen. I got to do this. And you hold the ball a little bit longer than you should. Um, you're not getting the protection that you should uh, against the really good teams. You don't have a running game that can really sustain the offense. And so, you know, it's all on, uh, it's all on the quarterback. So, so I don't know if I'd ever use the word, the word blame. Uh, but, uh, I don't think the offense was put together as well as it needed to be considering once everybody knew where everything was and what the offensive line you could expect and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I don't think it worked as well. And, and you know, it, it it shows when Sam had such a, uh, you know, high uh, quarterback rating in, in certain situations. Well, he was, for example – Sam was, I think, the number two in the nation in the red zone, quarterbacks, and yet USC was like number 120 in the red zone, the team. So there were some disconnects between the quarterback and the team. Uh, and I think when that happens, you're looking at the, you know, the head coach and the offense coordinator and, come on, guys, figure this out. What's, what's going on here? Uh, so I have a tendency probably much of the time not to go after the player and uh, when you've got a player with talent and who's willing to do anything, uh, it's up to the coaches to figure out what do we have to do with him to make him successful and, uh, and avoid, uh, you know, the kind of mistakes that you were still seeing in the, uh, in the Cotton Bowl. You know, the, the interception where, you know, Sam said, you know, I just uh, I didn't, didn't see that guy. I didn't realize, you know, I looked away and then I looked back, you know, when I threw the ball and he had changed positions to the inside and he gets the easy interception. Uh, that's to some extent, as much as you want to say, well, the quarterback did that, that's also coaching and film study and, and just figuring out, um, you know, what you have to do and how you have to do it. And you know, USC didn't ever, I mean, for example, we thought that one of the things they might do against Ohio State was speed the game up. Because uh, Ohio State, as much as they, their offensive stats look good, that was not a great offensive team Ohio State had. So the thought was you got to do something, you know, do it quick on offense to, you know, 
stunt that pass rush and all that depth and that, and maybe USC will go fast. And Ohio State hadn't seen much of that. And USC gets into the game and runs none of that. They don't do one, you know, they, they slow it down. And, uh, you know, they look like sitting ducks for that Ohio State pass rush. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I'm, I wasn't real thrilled with uh, the approach, uh, the way Sam was used much of the year. As, as good as they got him uh, the year before, I'm not sure they had it figured out uh, this year. This year was kind of a step back for the offense. We had uh, Tom from the South Bay, and I, I, I apologize I didn't get to this one last week. Um, Tom emailed me. I was like, hey, you didn't read my question. Um, sorry, Tom, so I'll read it now. I just read Lynn Swan's statement about Clay Helton and how he wins championships and his great hires. What is he talking about? Are you kidding me? It looks like the blind is leading the blind. <laughs> This isn't why I didn't read it. I just I did miss it. I'm sorry. What a, what a mistake. We are stuck with this guy and his terrible assistance for another five years. What has he done to deserve a new contract? Uh, the Rose Bowl. Sam won that. So this is he's in direct uh, uh, opposition to what our last email I wrote. He said the Pac-12 championship. We know what the Pac-12 record is in in bowl games. It's one and eight. It's a terrible conference. Sad day for the Trojans to have. Such a coach with a bad staff. We are not going anywhere with him, and you can count on it. Please tell me if I'm wrong. Thanks, Ryan. Keep up the good work. Tom from the South Bay. Well, Tom, Tom, I mean, they have to get better. There's no question about it. Uh, Last year, you know, and again, they won the Pac-12. They won won 11 games. Uh, They beat Stanford twice. Somebody above was looking down on them at the end of the Utah game, the end of the Texas game, heck, the end of the UCLA game almost. Uh, uh, and so there's got to be a lot of improvement. And, and I think the coaches got to coach better. They got to develop players better. They got to figure it out more in terms of uh, you know just just things like you got to find a punt returner. God Almighty, you got to. I mean, this is this is USC. You don't have one person that can figure out where the hell the ball's coming down? I mean, come on. You, I mean, they're not even asking them to run it back. Just catch it. Uh, and, and, and so there were a lot of things that just didn't, didn't work right. And, and, yeah, so you can hear both of those are true. They won 11 games. They won the Pac-12 championship for the first time. Uh, and they beat Stanford twice. So that's good. No question about it. Um, and about the performance at Washington State, I don't care if it was a short week or not, and they had guys injured. They didn't have people ready to play. Uh, they absolutely weren't ready to play at Notre Dame. That was uh, one, of the, one of those embarrassments that will last for a long time. Uh, and then the Texas game where you're, I mean, uh, the Texas get Cotton Bowl in Texas and uh, against Ohio State, and you're just not, you're just not competitive. And uh, uh, that a USC team should never – not be competitive and um you know at least two games obviously where they weren't competitive but you're right winning is the pack you know winning the pack 12 means something because you had never done it but winning it last year did that mean a whole lot probably not i think there are a lot of teams in the in the country who could have won the pack 12 last year uh you know so so it is what it is uh and, and i i uh, you know, in terms of saying it's going to be for five years and all that, it's not going to be for five years. It's going to be 
they're going to get better and they're going to move on or it won't be for five years. So is that so? And Clay wants to, you know, retire there. He wants to coach into his sixties. And so I think, um, the incentive there is to, uh, in those areas where improvement is necessary, I mean, let's face it, everybody at USC from Max Nikias, Lynn Swan, Clay, down, and all you fans agree, USC should be competing for national championships. And that's going to be the standard. And so I think going to look at it and say, you know, last year they weren't. Uh, thought they were, were going to be, but they weren't. Uh, let's see what happens this year. And uh, I don't think people are going to accept the fact, oh, you know, you don't have, um, you don't have Sam Darnold. You don't have Rojo. You don't have uh, Yachenna. Nope, nope. Programs that are like USC that should be competing for national championships should be ready uh, with the way they recruit, with the history, tradition, expectations, all of that should be able to compete every year. You just have to figure out what do we have to do to compete and how do we get better. Because uh, there, there are ways in which they may not have Sam, but they've got a lot of stuff that, that – I mean, USC has more – what do you want to say, five-star recruits or blue-chip recruits. USC has more of those on this roster than the rest of the Pac-12 combined. USC has more – uh, top recruits than uh, the other 11 schools. If you take the, you're talking about the very elite recruits, they don't go to the rest of the Pac-12. They just don't. Yeah. And they go to USC. So USC should win. They just have to figure out how to make those elite recruits elite players uh, week after week after week. All right, we got a couple more. We'll let you go, Dan. Um, John K. wrote in. He said, well, he, he's praising our last episodes. He said, You're, you and your crew make my car rides to and work, to and from work uh, very enjoyable. Living in New Jersey, you guys are my best source for USC information. I appreciate all the news and insights you provide. And uh, he's, he gave me a long list of uh, players he would like to, me to interview since we are, you know, we'll do some of those during the offseason. So we'll try to get to some of those, John. But he said, uh, lastly, I attended USC fantasy football camp back in 2007. It was an awesome experience. Uh, they stopped after USC got hit with the sanctions, though. Do you think that this might ever happen again? Rod Sherman ran the camp, and I have no idea how to get into contact with him or, or his organization. Thanks for always uh, for keeping up all the good work. We appreciate it. John K. I know that's a good question. I, I have talked to people who've gone to uh, a, a fellow that uh, I go to the Notre Dame game with or meet at the Notre Dame game with every year from uh, from Cincinnati who came out to uh, a couple of those and loved them. And, uh, you know, we haven't heard anything about uh, about about those things. Well, ask around. That's, uh, that's a good question. Pete Carroll was a whole different, you know, phenomenon as far as, uh, doing stuff like that. Although I think that wouldn't be out of uh, out of Clay's wheelhouse. I would think uh, Clay might uh, might be open to something like that. But I don't know, you know, what you know the organizing. I think it was done mostly outside of USC, and they basically just you know showed up and provided the facilities and the coaches. And uh, so I don't know. And, and and maybe it's a timing thing. I mean, there's so many other things that coaches now have to do, and the time uh, frame is kind of compressed. And and maybe you know it's 
stuff like that that just you know, if you do that, then you don't even, you know, get any vacation at all or whatever. I don't know, uh, but but that might be that might play into it a little bit because you don't hear as much of that no. as you used to around the country. Yeah, they were. I mean, that was definitely something that the fans that we talked to had a blast with, where they could, you know, put pads on and. You know, everyone's getting hurt and stuff. <laughs> and I remember yeah. like Ed Orgeron, you know, running guys through drills and things. So yeah, we'll have to we'll have to ask about that. That would be really interesting uh, to see if they could do something like that again. And I think I thought they did some kind of like uh, once for women too, where it was like I don't know. We'll have to we'll look into yeah. it. But that, we haven't heard much about that those kind of fantasy camps anymore. No, the one thing they can do is uh, you can come to the uh, coaches' clinic. I mean, they they make that very fan friendly. Yeah. And um, uh, that's available coming up here at the end of March. Right. Uh, yeah. So that'll be good. The two days of the fan, fan, you know, the fantasy camp where you really do get to talk to the coaches, and you can, you know, have Coach Baxter show you kickoff returns and punt returns and what happened and what what didn't happen and <laughs> and why. And uh, so so I, I would recommend that if if you're you know able to get here uh, that Friday Saturday at the end of March, um, I think is, uh, it's worthwhile. All right, Dan Weber, make sure you check him out at uscfootball.com. Got through a lot of questions, Dan. Thanks for, uh, thanks for doing that. Yeah, good. We'll, yeah. Can't good count. job. And, uh, uh, the new questioners, that's great. And, the uh, different kinds of questions. I think guys are starting to get it. I like the idea that there's a lot of emphasis on the returning players who maybe didn't get to show what they could do. And uh, and figure it out how to get them all involved. I think that's the I think that's the theme of the uh, of spring ball. I think uh, and I think you guys are on on top of that. So that's good. All right. Well, make sure you check them out. Every all this work up at uscfootball.com. Thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks uh, to everyone else for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in, spending some time out of your day listening with us. So thanks so much, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.